The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 21. And as you do that, I want to turn back in history 40 years ago this week, 40 years ago this week, Ronald Reagan, who had been governor of California, was then president of the United States, made a proclamation for the first time, this was 40 years ago this week, for the third Sunday in January to be a National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And and he began by referencing the preamble of our Declaration of Independence That our creator has endowed us with certain inalienable rights, beginning with the right to life. And you can read that proclamation from him. I won't take the time here to to do that. But it was about young and old, weak and strong, healthy and handicapped, the unborn as well, and the importance of the value and dignity of every human being and the sanctity of every human life. In God's providence and perfect timing, today, as we're going through the book of Exodus, we come through to a text where that is what it's all about. We've been teaching through this book. If you're joining us, chapter 21 as a whole is on valuing and honoring all life. It speaks totally different than other ancient books about the great value that there is in God's image that we bear And this text has freedom for the slave like we talked about and how the abused are to be set free. This passage actually calls for the end of slave trading and the execution of any who would own slaves from that. And it would apply to those involved in human trafficking today, which happens a lot more than you might know in the greater Sacramento area. There's a lot of that in our day. This chapter speaks to that. This chapter speaks to the dignity of of every human being made in God's image. Human life has sanctity. That means it's set apart. And the most vulnerable get special protection. Even to a slave's tooth, it addresses. Because all people are created equal on purpose, with a purpose. The Bible speaks of precious life and precious blood. And God's law cares for the abused And for women and their unborn, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Exodus 21, verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. Life for life. That's where we'll stop today. This is God's word of life for us today. Next week, we're going to look more at the principle, the eye for eye retaliation principle when life is not taken. Today, we're going to look at how unborn life is not to be taken and not to be taken lightly, not to be harmed. Life is at stake. There is a price paid and God has strong penalties when men hurt the weak. And what I want us to see is life in the womb in God's law 
and then life applications in the gospel. Those will be the two parts of our study, life in the womb and God's law, and then life applications in the gospel. And as we go, there's questions, there's objections that come up that we'll be addressing. But God has the words of life as we sing. We need his help to show us Christ. That's where we're going. I've, I've read a bunch of books. I've read some technical studies on what does it mean in the language his children come out? What does harm mean and who is that to? And is this speaking of death? And you can get lost in the details of verse 23 or the end of verse 22 and, and miss the start of verse 22. A lot of these studies don't, don't talk about this, but it uses the language of a pregnant woman having a child or children who are coming out of her. And, and so the first place we need to start is that there is a child or there is children before they come out. There are children in the womb who need protection in this passage here. The New King James New American Standard has a woman with child so that she gives birth. Or the ESV speaks of children, which would allow for twins and not just a, a single child. But, but don't miss the, the big picture here, a pregnant woman is with child, with children. God does not call the unborn a, a blob of, of tissue or, or just a choice. He's spoken of, or she is spoken of as a child, as this tiny life. And in verse 22, the Hebrew word is yalad. This is the same word used earlier in Exodus 1 through 2 for the children after they were born. In the womb or on the water of the Nile like Moses was as a three-month-old baby. This is the same word used of him. And in that context, Pharaoh was, was killing the male children, the Yalad, same word here. But there was a brave girl who rescues a Yalad, a child. Same word. Moses knew this very much. The one who's writing Exodus knew this because this was his own story. And he understood how valuable and vulnerable he would have been in this story that he writes. But how God was merciful and had rescued him. And Exodus 1 through 2, we've looked at it, is, is really celebrating a number of heroic women involved in saving Yalad babes. Having pity, rescuing Moses in chapter 2 verse Six, this is the normal, natural word for the life of a child in Exodus and other parts of the Old Testament. But Exodus 21, 22 is talking about something unnatural, violence toward one. There's two men fighting, and there's a, a woman who intervenes or is in the area, and as a result of that is induced and maybe injured. These guys are trying to hit each other, probably not the bystander or the baby, but a blow leads to a birth. And one of the questions in the, the, the studies of this is, is it a stillbirth? So that verses 22 through 23 is about harm to the mom after a baby dies and a, a penalty if a fine if the unborn dies. The New American Standard 1977 has, so that she miscarries. Other translations don't have that, but and actually their 1995 update of that same translation has this, no, so that she gives birth 
prematurely, which is a, a better translation than what the other translations have. There are some who think verse 22 is an induced miscarriage, treated as involuntary manslaughter. But it's not intentional slaughter, no matter how you translate it. This cannot justify abortion, but believe it or not, some try to do that. The law did allow unintentional deaths to be paid for without paying your life. Numbers 35 addresses that. In the case of an accidental death, there was a ransom allowed. In fact, in Exodus 21, verse 30, it speaks of that, but not for premeditated murder. That's what verse 13 says. You couldn't go to the altar for that. This context, though, is actually giving extra protections for vulnerable women, verses 8 through 11. We looked at that a couple of messages ago. And I think verse 22 is saying more for the most vulnerable life. It's interesting that it doesn't address if, if you know, an older person or a young person or someone else gets caught near a fistfight. It is specifically and, and specially singling out special care to a woman with child and penalties for those who would be reckless or would endanger life that is more helpless there's actually more judgment in God's law. I believe verse 22 includes a legal penalty even for causing life that would be born prematurely without injury. And all the greatest and, and the latest translations consistently render verse 22 as an early birth, not a stillbirth. This is not the Hebrew word for miscarry, which Moses Knew He was well-educated in the education of the Egyptians. And in chapter 23, he's going to use a different word that does mean miscarry. And there's a different, another different Hebrew word in Genesis 31 he used for miscarrying. This is just a verb that means come out or go out. It's used over 1,000 times. The term by itself never means or implies death. It means coming out. Let me read to you from Genesis, same writer Moses, Genesis 25, 21. Rebecca became pregnant. Listen to the language. The babies jostled within her. These are babies within her. There were twin boys, is the language, in her womb. And here's what the Lord said to her. There are two peoples from within you who will be separated. He's using the, the plural word for persons. God says they're persons, they're people. God's inspired word and then God's actual verbal word says in the womb is a boy, it's a girl, it's a baby. And it's even a, there's another word for child that's used there as well. And then listen to this. Genesis 25, 25, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Here, here comes this hairy little guy. But that, the verb come out is what's used in that passage there. This red hairy guy comes out. Come out is the verb. After this, his brother came out, and he's holding the heel. He's, he reaches out, and he grabs the heel of his Brother, some of you who have had girls and have boys know there's a difference between boys. And, and even in the womb here, they're, they're wrestling, they're grabbing each other. But what I want us to see is that verb, come out, that's the verb that's used here for these children that come out. I think what Exodus is saying is if someone had hit Rebecca before she gave birth, so she gave birth to those twins prematurely, that's 
what this is talking about. And it says, the children come out, but there is no harm. And the text doesn't say harm just to the mother. It leaves it general. The grammar is not specifying the mom as opposed to the children. It would include both. But it's definitely a dangerous situation. This is trauma-induced labor. And even if all are okay, there is a penalty. But if mom or baby or babies are not okay... Justice must be paid for life. Here's an Orthodox Jew named Dennis Prager explaining it. If the mother gives birth and there is no harm to either her or to the children, the law fines the man who induced premature birth. So there's a penalty even if there wasn't lasting harm. But if there is harm, the the Hebrew word here, whether injury or death to either the children or the mother, then punishment is life for life. Homicide charges in in Jewish law, and this is different than liberal Judaism today, but he says the unborn is a full-fledged human being in in their ancient law, the halakha, but not quite. In most circumstances, the fetus is treated like any other person, and an ancient Jewish view saw life in the womb as legally a person with some measure of personal and legal rights. The unborn has spiritual life, ability, and rationality, and even praising God in some way, the scriptures say. And the, one of the biblical places that they quoted from in the, like the ancient Jewish Talmud was Genesis 9, verse 6, to include the unborn as a person within the mother. That later became a minority view within Judaism, but it has a, had a sizable following even then and joined with the Alexandrian Jews in granting in those days, in Bible times, legal personhood to the fetus, but there were differences between the two different Jewish views on accidental or therapeutic abortion. Abortion Therapeutic would be to save the life of the mother, not abortion on demand for any reason or no reason, which didn't even enter their mind or their discussions. Here's what an ancient Alexandrian Jew, Philo, wrote on Exodus 21. One who harms the formed fetus is guilty of the murder of a human being and is thus deserving of death. And Philo was challenging. There was justification of abortion by legal, medical, and philosophical authorities who, in in his own words, described that some of them we're objecting and saying the child that's still adhering to the womb below the belly is part of its future mother. Sounds like arguments today. It's, it's part of the mother while it's still inside of her. But he saw that as a moral issue related not only to Exodus 21, but more important to the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill. Unlawful taking of human life. Josephus some of you know that name, also wrote in Bible times, the law orders all the offspring to be brought up and it forbids either to cause abortion or to make away with the fetus, which is regarded as infanticide by the Jews. First century writing, the Didache actually put this statement in there, thou shalt not murder a child by abortion or destruction. But this wasn't just in the culture of of their day and that nation. Exodus 21 impacted common law even in the Western-speaking world. So England, a few hundred years ago, here's one of the news stories I read this week. A pregnant woman, Alice, slammed a door on John the Scot, who was chasing her husband, Roger. Then came injury. John pushed the door so hard that Alice 
she's pregnant, fell and was severely injured. The twins Alice carried both died. John the Scot ran and the court declared him an outlaw, which in those days literally meant he was outside the law's protection. Anyone who saw John the Scot could kill him on sight for what he had done, which is very much what Exodus 21 describes. Common law and even by common grace and even common sense, and I want to come back to that, even our modern state can't get away from Exodus 21. And there's a question or objection some would have. Well, I don't believe what the Bible says, and I especially don't believe that law that is outdated. Well, let me talk a little bit about California law. It actually criminalizes, quote, a violent act against a pregnant woman causing the death of a fetus. California has actually been a leader in enacting fetal homicide laws. Since 1970, California has included fetuses in its murder statute. And the California Supreme Court has clarified that if, there, if it's at least seven weeks from conception, it falls under that in current California law. Some of you know the story from 20 years ago. Scott Peterson was convicted of second-degree murder of unborn Connor and, and the infamous murder of Lacey while she was pregnant. But there was a conviction also of second-degree murder of Connor. So there's Lacey and Connor's law. The California Supreme Court allows murder charges even if someone did not know a woman was pregnant. The Petersons lived not far from here. But here's a more recent CHP report from Marysville, Marysville, also not too far from here. Quote, a driver has been arrested on a charge of murder after a February crash that forced doctors to perform an emergency C-section on a pregnant woman, but the child was pronounced dead shortly after. This is 2021. It was a suspected DUI. The mother who survived was 38 weeks pregnant at the time. Yuba County's district attorney office brought charges because of that premature birth and death brought a charge of murder. And so even if you think this is, this is from a long time ago, this is not antiquated, this is not irrelevant, this is applicable, this is relevant even to current cases here in northern California. On a federal level, there's the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004. This is Public Law 108-212. This is a U.S. law that recognizes an embryo as a legal victim if they are injured or killed during the commission of any other or any of over 60 listed federal crimes of violence. And you can read that law, and I've got the, the footnotes here. You can look it up in, in my notes here. It uses the phrase in our federal law, unborn child nine times, and several other times, child in utero. And it clarifies, defines that at any stage of development in the womb. And I think even as you hear that, you, you recognize the law of man is inconsistent, isn't it? But God's law cannot be escaped, and, and there's hope in common grace. There's hope if eyes will be opened even to these things. If, if even unbelievers can have their eyes open to see an ultrasound, 
We need to pray what we pledge for our nation under God, that we would truly be with liberty and justice for who? For all, even those endowed by their creator with inalienable rights and the right to life. The question here is, if the law forbids unborn death accidentally, what about intentional abortion for money? Does God's law speak to something like that? Listen to Deuteronomy 27, 25. Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person. We talked earlier about people who who need compassion. A woman certainly who's been deceived or others by abortion, lies, needs compassion. But a paid abortionist who knows what he's doing, God's law gives a curse to. God's law also speaks judgment on the land where innocent blood is shed, Numbers 35, 33. And early in the law, Genesis 4, God says the innocent bloodshed cries out to him. That's a theme throughout Scripture. Even to the end of Revelation, the the blood is crying out to the Lord. The question comes up in our culture, what about a woman's right to choose? Well, God's law frames it a different way. God's law tells us to choose what's right. It doesn't emphasize a right to choose whatever we want, and no one applies that to whatever you want. But God's law says we need to choose what's right. Listen to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. And God says, choose life. So that you may live, you and your children. God says, I'm setting this before you. You're going to go into Canaan. There's going to be people who who give their children to Molech. But he says, you need to choose life. Don't be like the rest of the world and, and the pagans. Choose life so that you and your children may live. Exodus 21 warns to never choose death for an innocent person. And that same Hebrew word in verse 12 for killing is used for killing an unborn in Genesis or Jeremiah 20, verse 17. And there are other ancient laws after this, like the Middle Assyrian laws for a historical context. If a man strikes another man's wife, causing her to abort her fetus, they shall treat him as he treated her. He shall make full payment of a life for her fetus. The Hammurabi Code is similar. The the Hippocratic Oath in its original form included a pledge not to give a pessary or a drug to cause abortion. That might have been 5th century B.C. Later versions of that oath speak of helping but not harming, but take out that statement. Ancient Rome, though, legalized, the Greco-Roman world that the New Testament speaks to had legalized abortion and infanticide. And some of the ways they did it are actually scarily similar to the ways abortions are done today. I'm I'm not going to go through those details, but there's nothing new under the sun. This is not something that started in 1973. It started, even the methods in a more primitive way that are done today were used back in the ancient Rome. But here's another question. What about the pregnant in hard situations? Well, we see this not only in the language of the law of God, but also the love of God is aware and cares in these situations. Back in Genesis 16, 11, 
There's Hagar, and if you know the the story, Abraham had sinfully impregnated her, and while she's pregnant, sent her away because of the conflict with Sarah. But while she's sent away with that child, the angel of Yahweh, I think for the first time in Scripture, appears. And, And the one that it chooses to appear to is a woman who's not even Jewish, but a pregnant woman in a difficult situation to Hagar. And the angel of Yahweh says to her, you are with child. Yahweh has heard. Yahweh has has heard your cry. In other words, Yahweh is is coming to you to, to help you. She may be the first who saw the Lord in that form since the Garden of Eden. And she said, the Lord looked after her. She's actually one of the few in Scripture to give the Lord a name. El Roy, the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who is aware, the God who cares is the idea of that name. She may have been the first to see a form of Christ. Many scholars, when it talks about the angel of the, the Lord, believe that is a pre incarnate appearance, you know, before Jesus came to earth in humanity, that he appears in this way because it it speaks of him as God himself. But we know no one can see God the Father and live. And here is the Lord, second person of the Trinity, appearing and showing his care for Egyptians and for the unborn. And then God reappears to her a second time. In a special way, as she's now a single mom now who's who's on her own and and not sure if she's going to live and wouldn't if God hadn't intervened. But the Lord provides for her. The Lord promises grace to her and, and blessing even through her offspring. And even today, I think that word is being fulfilled as many descended from Hagar are getting to see Christ. Four times Genesis 21 talks about her young boy, and it uses the same word for an unborn child in Exodus 21. So the story before Exodus here shows us God's special words of life to women that our world would counsel even to abort. God is showing his extra care and protections for a woman with child. Another question comes up, shouldn't a woman be allowed to choose to abort in those rare cases of rape or incest? Well, again, I think the Lord's heart that we need to learn from is compassion. We should have care for any who are pregnant, not by their choice or by a a choice that maybe they regret. And and a girl in a situation like that doesn't need soundbite answers. She needs support. She needs sisters in Christ to come around her, to help her. But scripture is clear, the child does not deserve to die. I've actually met a brother who brother in Christ who's adopted a child of a rape and was so thankful to have that opportunity to adopt that child. God's law says a child is not to be put to death for the sin of the father. Deuteronomy 16 verse 14. And God has grace for incest as well. This is also part of the backstory of Exodus. Genesis 19. Lot's daughter, after an incestuous relationship with her father, is with child is the language of the text. And the child born nine months later is named Moab and becomes the father of the Moabite people. And, and we see, in, as Scripture unfolds, the story of grace through those people, through Ruth. 
Tamar also, by prostitution, with her father-in-law, a situation that she was not being cared for. When she is three months pregnant, it also says she was with child. This is Genesis 38. And then months later, that birth, another birth with twins, becomes a part of a, a scarlet thread, literally. And some theologians have traced that there's a, there's a thread here that, that leads ultimately to the line of Christ who would come intentionally through that. The world tells prostitutes or those pregnant by incest to abort. Christ actually chooses to come into the world through that very line, through that very situation. If those women had obeyed the counsel of modern abortion lies, there would not be that Messiah's line. But he who can redeem rape and wrong situations was to come through sin and for us sinners. Matthew 1, first page of the New Testament, lists Tamar and Ruth the Moabite and Rahab the harlot and evil men in the line of the Redeemer. Isn't that so great? Both the law and the gospel point to Jesus who for sinners gave his life for life. That life for life principle, he fulfilled for sinners. And so that takes us from life in the womb and the law to life applications in the gospel. Northern California is not Nazareth, but, but people wonder, can anything good come from here? Well, the good news can, and it does. We cannot save California. That's not our calling, but we have a gospel that we're called to that can save Californians. And with hope and with heart change, unborn Californians can be rescued too. I heard some testimonies last night of some where that has happened even in recent years. And like Paul, who was eager to be in Rome to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome because the gospel is the power of God. We've got to believe that here. To a crooked, perverse generation, Philippians 2.14 says we need to We need to stand and hold forth the word of light and life. We're the salt and the light of the world. We're not to flee from the world. So don't let politics move you away. Let people move you to stay and impact them for Christ. Wherever you are. This is the show us Christ part. The gospel starts with the Son of God becoming an unborn child. And think about this. He was an unplanned pregnancy to Mary. He was an unwanted child to Joseph. Joseph didn't want this boy that wasn't his. Mary didn't want this, uh, or wasn't, hadn't planned for this. Certainly she submitted to God's will, but this wasn't her plan. But Jesus, from the beginning, is fully human, if you deny that, you've got all kinds of, of, of problems. From day one, he was alive nine months in the womb. And that Bethlehem trip surely had bumps and jostling, but there was no premature birth in his case. There was also no room in the inn. But he came out, and there was no harm, and he lived a perfect life. He lived a, a sinless life for people who would sin and had sin. He died for our sin and then he rose. He lived that perfect life and he died and rose for our salvation for all who would repent and believe in the gospel no matter what they've done. 
For us who, you heard Pastor Corey say earlier, we're, we're murderers at heart. We've all hated, but he's executed in our place, and he is now extending mercy to any. He gave his life so that we could have life eternal by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and what? The life. There's no one who can get to the Father but through him. And from embryo to empty tomb to his enthroned glory now, he is the Lord of life. And the gospel calls you to give your life to him who gave his life for you. The one who was born so that you could be born again. He became a human child so that we could be made God's child. And also so that we could welcome children in his name. That was one of the texts that was read earlier. Welcoming in his name. He says, welcome, clothe, feed, meet the essential needs of the least of these, and you're doing it to me, he says. You're not just doing it for Jesus. In, in a sense, you're doing it to him. I praise the Lord for ministries like PCS Health that do that, that are providing needs and resources in his name and ultimately seeking to speak his name to those who Jesus said, let the little children come. He blessed infants. And that's the same word for the unborn in Luke one forty one. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, and you need to see this, chapter 1, because some might object, well, I mean, does God really say the unborn is a baby, child, a person, or is that just what ancient man thought? Is that just what you know, Moses thought back in his day? Well, Moses was inspired by God, but God also clearly says it in the New Testament. Luke one forty three. this is God's spirit moving Elizabeth to call pregnant Mary a mother, the mother of my Lord. She hasn't been pregnant for very long, maybe just days. But the Spirit reveals to her there's life in there. That's the Lord in there. At the end of verse 42, she blesses the fruit of your womb. That's a That's a Jewish phrase for life in the womb. Psalm 127, children are a a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's a parallel statement. It's children, the fruit of the womb, the life in the womb being emphasized there. And then Luke 1, 44, Elizabeth actually says, listen to this language, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So God's spirit is even moving with her unborn child in the end of the second trimester. Baby John, leaping in the womb for joy. And, and go back to verse 39. The, the angel, and even right before that, had just told Mary that she would conceive. And then it says, in those days, Mary went with haste. I don't know how many days it was from where Mary lived to Elizabeth, but again, this cannot be many days after she has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And days after conception, God's Spirit is declaring Mary to be a mother with life in her womb. And verses 35 and and 36 are direct words from God's messenger, Gabriel. Angels only say what God tells them to say, and he speaks of... Her con- who has conceived a son. 
And it speaks of it as a, later as a child to be born. This is from God's throne room to his messenger, telling him what to say. God has his angels say, before it's born, it's a child. From conception, it is a son or a daughter. That is not ignorant, ancient man talking. That is an infallible, angelic messenger in Luke 1. Listen to Matthew's account, Matthew 1.18. Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And an angel of the Lord said to Joseph, this is Matthew 1.20, the child who has been conceived, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it says, this is to fulfill the prophecy, behold, the virgin shall be with child. That's the New American Standard wording. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. It's personal pronouns. He, his, him, because a conceived child is a person as proved by the person of Jesus. It is a gospel issue in that sense. To deny unborn personhood would deny the incarnate person with a capital P who is Jesus. You're calling the Holy Spirit a liar unless Jesus, from the beginning, is conceived as a child. The Gospel of John says, in him was life, and that life was for mankind from the very beginning. Before zygotes form embryos, and I don't know if there's something before zygotes, but Jeremiah says, before God forms us in the womb, before we even take form, he says, the Lord says, I am knew you. I knew you at that earliest stage before you even took form. Jeremiah 1.5. Psalm 139 says the tiniest organs of the tiniest unborn life are being intricately, fearfully, and wonderfully made by God. I think there might be eight or more in this room right now being fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know if the number is exactly, but there's a number of you ladies out there we praise the Lord for. But even if you reject scripture but accept science, here's a University of Chicago study from 2019. 5,577 biologists surveyed, 96% affirm that a human life begins at fertilization. And these are many who identified as liberal, pro-choice, non-religious, the majority of them, but based on validated, objective, biological investigation. That is a human life from the beginning. I've got the source for that. And by the way, if if you want an up-to-date resource to study some questions more, Choose Life is put out by Moody Press, 2022, um, answering key claims of abortion defenders with compassion. Choose Life is the title. But it goes into great detail. People who have invested their lives, but also given their testimonies of these situations that the world brings up, I don't know of any better resource. I would highly recommend any of you to be equipped in this area. But here's one objection that people say, well, I'm, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't want to impose that on everyone. Or maybe the more popular version is, your body, your choice. Raise your hand if you've heard that one. Okay, I'm, I'm surprised some of you didn't raise your hand. Here's what 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, your body is for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
but you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your body. A Christian needs to understand they, they've been bought with a price. They're not their own, but non-Christians as well need to realize they're made in God's image. And here's Romans 14 speaks to all people, not just Christians. We don't live for ourselves He says, if we are to live, it's to honor the Lord. He says, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. And he speaks of all humanity. He says, each of us will give a personal account to God. That personal language many people use. There's personal decisions that we have. But we will all give a personal account to God for what we personally do. And it's not just believers. All of us belong to God as our creator. He owns us. He's in charge. No one is autonomous. And not just scripturally, but scientifically, there's another body that deserves a choice and chance. Ray Comfort in his excellent film, 180. I think it's just about a half hour uh, video. If you can find 180, the movie. He asked unbelievers, you say that you're not sure if there's life in the womb but you are sure that it's okay to end it? He says, think about that. If there's a building and you're on the demolishing team for that building and you say, you know, it's time to to demolish it. I'm I'm not really sure if there's human life in that building or not, but I I think it's okay if we just take that building down. No, no one would do that. You want to make sure that there's no life in there. Or as a German in the 1940s, would you say, you know, for me personally, I, I, I wouldn't kill Jews personally. But I'm okay, you know, if, if the Nazis, with, with their body, their choice, you know, whatever they want to do, you know, I, I can't say it's wrong for Hitler if people with disabilities or defects need to be put to death. No, the, that's, that's not right because it's not just their body. There's another body involved. You personally say you value life and the unborn. He did this with several interviews of people. Finish this sentence. It's okay to end a baby in the womb when? And there were several people as he went through this that even in the course of that conversation realized the inconsistency, even as non-believers, and then ultimately he was seeking to share the gospel with them. It's a great resource, 180 the movie, if you want to see how to speak to people, but also how to seek to speak the gospel to them. Because whatever it is that would not be okay to do with a a toddler or a newborn or a preemie that is born weeks earlier than some abort, we need to see the reality that is there. And the last question is, what can we do? What can we do? Well, we want to do a love offering for PCS Health Organization. Any of you that would feel led to give to them, I think, Pastor Corey may have some specifics afterwards. Uh, Judy Dixon, I know, would love to talk with you afterwards about ways that you can do that. And maybe it's you're not prepared today to give money, but you would like to give time. You would like to uh, volunteer help in some way. But also, there's, it was prayed for earlier, there's pregnant women in our community needing Christ's love and support for life. There are lives in church families that are no less precious to God that have been lost by miscarriage. There are lives here in this room that were counseled by someone to abort their baby. There's people also in this room who have 
made decisions in the past that you greatly regret, and there's great pain, I want you to know God can redeem that. There is grace. There is grace greater than all sin. I praise the Lord for the grace of adoptions represented in this room where other families were able to take in children. The stain and shame of some things from our past can be deep, but Jesus, through his blood, can truly wash away any of that if we give that to him. Earlier this month, I was in the, right by the Sacramento Capitol building walking around, and I looked and I saw Starbucks, and then I saw right next to it Planned Parenthood. Maybe some of you know where this is, and it just, it just struck me with how how casual our world is. If you've got these people, they're drinking their lattes and right next to it, horrible things and lies being told. Last night I was in Sacramento for a pregnancy alternatives event. It was a great group in our Sacramento state capital. If you're not aware of Alternatives Pregnancy Center, they describe themselves as a pro Gospel, pro-woman, pro-life ministry. And I heard some incredible testimonies of lives that they have impacted from all kinds of backgrounds. And like those baby-saving heroes in Exodus, we need to celebrate people like that. The world doesn't see people like that as heroes. Uh, Their director, Heidi, was talking about a time where she got to testify before the Senate Judiciary committee in Washington, D.C., speaking of life, and the person before her, speaking for Planned Parenthood, just described it as health care. There is real care happening from those ministries, holistic care for all women to not only seek to save lives, but to seek to save souls and the gospel. But we can be a voice in some way for the unborn who can't speak. We're called to in Proverbs We can vote pro-life to make that voice heard. We can speak up about this. You can choose to speak up about this message this week, to speak to the Lord about these things in prayer. There's a hymn that says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. That's, That's the message we need to give. That's what we're called to. We need more men also to rise up like Joseph of Nazareth. As there's baby killers like Herod in our world and like Pharaoh in our world, but Joseph adopted baby Jesus. He protected, he provided for him amid the slaughter of the innocents. The New Testament says Mary was with child. Remember that it was a teen pregnancy before marriage. Remember that our Lord Jesus went through all kinds of things that people go through here so he can be a sympathetic high priest. His life was not an easy life. He had a difficult life, but he came to redeem difficult situations. But think of Mary, even in those times when she was pregnant, she left town to be with that godly Elizabeth who was also pregnant and who encouraged her. We need more Elizabeths Today, alongside pregnant moms, supporting and celebrating life. But all of us need to speak more of life and eternal life and that grace that is greater than all sin. Unborn life is precious. Children with special needs are precious. Every stage of life is precious. Even as loved ones may be losing their faculties, maybe losing their memories, may 
even be nonverbal, maybe in a wheelchair or completely dependent upon others, all of those lives are precious to God. All of those lives matter to God. And so I want to pray that God would work in our hearts. If you would bow with me, our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for fathers. And we pray for those who are in difficult situations, Lord, that you would minister to them. Pray for the the hurting that you would minister to them. We pray that you would heal families for the sake of this next generation. We thank you for the miracle of life being formed by procreation and how we were all tiny little zygotes and embryos at one time. We pray that you would give us a heart and a mind and a will to love and to defend and to celebrate life, that you would bring forgiveness to those who need it, that you would help us to be ministers of that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.